Welcome to the show. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And since this is Monday, it is Mayor's Monday on WHMP and Talk the Talk. We will be joined later in the hour with our SciTech Cafe scientists. We're going to be talking about ground-penetrating radar, something I don't know much about, but I can't wait to hear what it is and how it works and what it does or doesn't do for us and to us. So we welcome on this Mayor's Monday the mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedegartner. Madam Mayor, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate your time every month. I would like, My pleasure. I would like to know an update on the ongoing story of the police in Greenfield. We've talked about this for a long time on the show. There's, there seems to be a resolution <laughs> of sorts, um, although my understanding is that two of the four uh, officers who will be hired to uh, bring the force back up to the number of people needed to actually staff the police department won't happen for quite some time, maybe even up for six months to a year. So bring us up to date. Where does the police... Sure. Where does that stand? Well, I'm glad I'm not talking about ground penetrating radar. <laughs> because I would be not talking very much <laughs> with regard to uh, the police department. As of April 16th, we now cover the Greenfield Police Department now covers uh, all shifts, um, including that 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. Um, portion. Um, with backup from the sheriff's department as needed so um you know it's it's really a still remains a bit of a staffing issue um but uh we are covering um that's the good news for the people of greenfield it is the greenfield police department the state police are no longer involved except as they may be needed in the case of we have talked to them about using their detectives as backup should one of our detectives have to be on one of the shifts, which is part of the whole staffing problem until we can be fully staffed. So that said, you're right, Bill. Um, there are two of the four officers that have been hired uh, to uh, who are attending the academy and they will not be done uh, for quite some time. It's like 12 weeks. Um, I couldn't tell you where they are in that week span, but they're very early into it. Um, and then they have to be, you know, trained under a Greenfield police policing procedures and policies and so forth. So it would be mid late fall before they would come on as um, participating police officers. And even then, they may not be you know, fully working a, a full shift or whatever, you know, they'll be helping joining in. Is, so that said, I'm just going to put one more thing in there. Sure. Uh, the FY24 budget for the police department assumes the grant. It assumes they have um, contractual obligations for uh, our police officers and it's budgeted to cover 34 police officers, which is what we had before the city council uh, produced the budget. I mean, uh, <laughs> cut the budget last year. Um, that 34 officers is what's needed to cover all shifts and be able to handle, you know, vacations and injuries and so forth. Um, 
without having to cost a lot of overtime. So it's imperative that that budget be funded this year or we'll be right back where we were last year. Well, this is my favorite aphorism from Yogi Berra that it's difficult to make predictions, particularly about the future. But how do you think that your this budget is going to fare with the city council? Well, it's really difficult to say. Um, I, you know, that is the sixty-four thousand dollar, not quite question, uh, and um, I think that there was enough pushback uh, from the larger community, not those that believe in defunding the police. Uh, two councilors last year and throughout the year um, that I'm hoping that they'll uh, see the error of their ways and fund a police budget so that the public safety of the people of Greenfield can be protected. Is, mo is most of the police budget for personnel? I, I assume it's a very well uh, yeah, it's significant. It's very significant. You know, get my budget, but um, so and uh, you know, there's they're in um, year two, I think, of their contract. So, um, so the police budget. Let's just spend one more minute on this that you proposed yeah. for this next fiscal year. I take it that's the fiscal of the year that starts July 1st. Uh, that is correct. Is this higher or lower or the same or adjusted for inflation in comparison? With it's, it's, it's definitely higher owing to the contractual obligations as well as some, uh, you know, other contracts that we hold that have, have escalated, but it is still, um, hold on a sec. Um, not going anywhere. We're on live radio. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I it just, I, I should have been calling it up. Uh, well, I, I'm looking at your budget book, mayor, and I see. Yeah, I know you are, but I'm looking at the uh, one with the, um, percentages in it to, to be able to help. I need to call it up is all. Mm -hmm. But what 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 are you seeing in the budget? Book? Well, what I'm seeing is for fiscal year 22, it was uh, 3358000 for total wages. And uh, yeah. now it's 3533000 It looks like the department requested 3600000 and it looks like you are recommending 3533000 is so, that is that for fiscal year twenty that's twenty four twenty four yeah okay. for this for, for this budget okay and uh, you know that's that's out of a total budget for the police department of what you're recommending is three million eight hundred thousand as opposed to the department's uh, request for almost four million um, for the department so there is an increase I don't have the percentages here yeah so l let me let me turn to uh, uh, some of the the politics of this. Uh, and I would like to know, there's, there's been a long story, which we will not repeat here, uh, regarding the, <laughs> the Greenfield police. And I'd like to know, if, from your point of view, uh, Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner, whether there are lessons learned from this entire uh, saga of the police department, uh, the uh, relative cutting of the police budget in response to 
the uh, verdict of discrimination and so on. There's something that there's a take home lesson or lessons here that you that you have. Hmm. Well, there's there's probably many take home lessons. Um, I mean, I, I I just enumerated a few. Um, 34 police officers is what is needed to cover the city of Greenfield. Um, and the um, policies and procedures for hiring and promotions are getting a very rigorous look by both the chief and the public safety commission to see where we might be able to um, improve those. And I think that is a direct result of, of you know, being in the court case and understanding where potentially some weak points in that process are. So that's, I think, a key one for sure. Um, in general, uh, things like defunding the police don't really, um, at the end of the day, result in, it, it, it results in less effective and uh, policing. I mean, our, our Greenfield Police Department covers a lot. And we always have to remind people that while we are a city of 17,700 on any given day, because we host a hospital, because we host most of the social services provided throughout Franklin County in one way or another, and because we have a, um, a, a community college here. That population can go up to as much as 25,000 people in a day. Um, so it's a busy police department in general. And um, per national standards, 34 is adequate. Um, and what we need to, even, to cover 17,700 and upwards to 25,000 in a day when we need to. Now, obviously not all of those people are gonna commit crimes at once or have other emergencies that need to be attended to, but you get my drift. Um, it is important that to the city of Greenfield and to our uh, safety of our citizens um, that we have a fully funded police department. And uh, 34 is what uh, you are looking for. And I would just point out, according to the budget book, according to April, uh, on April 1st, there was 28 uh, and right. three special or part-time officers in addition to those 28. So that falls short. I wanted to ask you about the budget, Mayor. Uh, it's budget yeah. season. Um, and the budget this year, according to your amazing budget book, which is like 220 pages long, it's quite a read, <laughs> yes. is 61 points. Well, it's, we, we consider it and, and hope that it is um, an education document for the people as well as a, um, you know, as well as a budget book, a working right. book. And I, I do want to point out, if people go to greenfield.gov and uh, go go to the department, you could just pull up this budget book and it answers so many questions in every department really it's 220 pages of information and so you could look at what your biggest question is and get some answers about what's being recommended by the mayor 
um, and by those departments before the mayor makes her recommendation. But it looks like uh, it's $61.6 million, and it's a 6.5% increase. The schools are $21.5 million, and that's a 3% increase. So do you want to speak about these increases? By and large, all of the increases um, are mostly attributable to salary and wages and different aspects of the salary and wage that for each individual. Some people get longevity, some people don't. There are stipends. I'm talking now in particular with the police and fire. Um, there's education um, incentives. There's a variety of things that fall under the category of salary and wages. And, um, and then there's uh, expenses uh, too. So um, several of our departments were level funded and that's a good thing. They're the much smaller departments. Um, the, uh, there are a few new staff positions that are necessary or staff positions that have um, gone unfilled that we are anticipating filling. So we have to account for those. And um, by and large, it is a balanced budget, which we are required by law to present. And unfortunately, right now, <laughs> you know, a balanced budget is when your revenues exceed your expenditures. <laughs> Right now, our, our res revenues, um, both on the city side and then the state aid to schools, uh, were reduced. Um, so while the schools received a significant amount, uh, right around $500,000 in Chapter 70 uh, aid, I mean, this is bottom line talk. Um, it, I'm not going to go into the weeds of explaining the foundation budget and so forth and so on. Thank you. This is what, <laughs> what we have to, if I even could, without notes. Um, if uh, this is what happened, this is where I guess, to use an old tired phrase, rubber meets the road. Um, we had to, you know, the assessments for students going, taking part in school choice, uh, charter, um, private school education, so forth and so on, caused a dip in enrollment. And that means um, for that particular segment, uh, increased assessments. And we have to reduce those assessments from, uh, we have to subtract that from our chapter 70. Plus our chapter 70 is also, um, we use a portion of the chapter 70 to help fund the indirect costs that go to school personnel. Chapter so seventy. Their life, chapter their 70. life insurance. Chapter yeah, their life insurance, their health insurance, their workers' comp, and so forth. Sorry, chapter seven is trying to let our listeners who may not know is states oh, is right. is the chapter of general laws that includes uh, schools and funding for schools and state funding for schools. We are speaking on this Mayor's Monday with the Mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedegartner. We've been talking about budgets, which means I want to ask you about the claim from the person, the city councilor, uh, Janita Sorger, who has announced she is running for mayor, that the school budget is a fraction of what it should be compared to other cities and towns. I have that question for you. And then while we're on the question of politics, I'm going to ask the mayor, is she running for re-election, which we'll do right after this break. 
listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Anif Abdurraqib comes to Smith Tuesday, the 25th, from his lyric essay, Defiance, Ohio is the name of a band. And it is the kind of town that will hold you under its tongue until it is ready to swallow you whole. The Poetry Center of Smith College presents Hanif Abdurraqib, a reading and conversation, Tuesday, April 25th at 7 o'clock. Prolific poet and essayist Hanif Abdurraqib reads from his latest book, A Little Devil in America. Broadside Bookshop will be there with Hanif's books. For 50 years, the Center for Women and Community has provided trauma-informed leadership and advocacy services, including 24-hour free and confidential support for survivors and their loved ones throughout Hampshire County. April is National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. CWC is here for you. If you've been impacted by violence, call the Sexual Assault Support and Advocacy Hotline for information, support, and resources. Learn about volunteer and professional staff opportunities at umass.edu CWC. Is your fence old, falling down, or maybe you just don't like how it looks? Then check out Valley Fence. We're a new division of Valley Home Improvement who your friends and neighbors have trusted for over 30 years with their home renovations. Valley Fence installs and repairs all types of fencing throughout the Pioneer Valley. Get ahead of the spring rush and call Valley Fence for a free estimate today. Love your home, love your fence. Visit valleyfencema.com and schedule a consultation today. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation on this Mayor's Monday with the Mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedegartner. Mayor, I'd like to ask you about a statement. I'm not sure it's an accusation, but uh, but it's close. Um, that was made by uh, City Councilor uh, Jenny DeSorger, who is an announced candidate for Mayor of Greenfield in the upcoming election. And she said that every other city and town comparable to Greenfield and really across the state have as a percentage of their budget for education somewhere between 45, 50, 55, sometimes even 60 percent. And Greenfield's budget for uh, the schools is only in the 30 percent, 30s percent. Um, And I'm wondering what your response might be to that. Well, what that statement doesn't take into account, and it's a concerning statement coming from a chair of Ways and Means, is that it is um it does not account for what we call indirect costs so the city pays for um the life insurance health insurance workers comp other things um covers a certain amount of the debt uh service for um capital expenditures although in this particular case I'm, I'm not speaking of the high school, that was a debt exclusion, but other capital expenditures. So there's a lot of indirect costs that go in that. When you factor in the indirect costs, it's, it's closer to 50%. These people, <laughs> they, deserve their, they, they deserve their retirement, they deserve their 
uh, health care, et cetera, et cetera, just like everyone else. And that's covered on the city side. And that is fairly common throughout the Commonwealth. So, Well, while I'm on the question of politics, um, not sure I'm going to get an answer to this question, but I feel the need to pose it. Are you going to run for re-election? Well, it is that season, isn't it? And if I'm yes, not it, yes, it is. Paper, yeah, okay. <laughs> paper, at least that season and that time for my term. So, um, yes, I'll be running again. Um, I have not announced formally yet because um, there were a couple of logistical issues that got in the way of prior dates that we were planning on announcing. So I will be announcing soon. And um, I believe papers for all offices are are out today in the city hall. So, you know, we all have to take out papers, even incumbents. Um, so I, um, I feel good about my record, about the list of accomplishments that I've gotten done. And um, the fact that whenever problems are presented, I go the extra mile to try to come to a solution that um, helps and keeps us on track. Uh, um, you know, it's difficult. So, difficult decisions get made every day by my office and people who work with the city of Greenfield, and that includes this, the superintendent of schools as well. You know, so the question of politics makes me really want to ask you this on a more personal level: Is this job fun? Satisfying? <laughs> It's funny you should ask me that because most people say it in the form of, um, wow, what's it like being mayor? Okay, you know, better question. Like, what's like, it like being wow, mayor? What's, <laughs> yeah, what's it like having cancer? So what it is, is it's a very hard job. Um, it's probably the hardest job I've ever had, uh, but it's also... Um, one of the most um, rewarding jobs I've ever had. And um, I do um, enjoy some part of every day. <laughs> Very few days go by that I go home and say, yikes. I mean, I say yikes a lot, but I mean, you know. Thank you, the, because the, we're on the, the radio. And... <laughs> I didn't want to on. Yeah, yikes is yeah. better than the expletive we expected. I, yeah, right. <laughs> Mayor, I have to ask you this question. In fiscal year 2018, the uh, average family tax bill was $5,800, I think. And in fiscal year 2020, You're talking about real estate taxes? I'm talking about, the, yes, I think so. Well, why don't I ask you, what's happening with real estate taxes for the people of Greenfield? I think it's up <laughs> in the 19 per thousand range, right? Yeah, right. Well, this this budget, you know, it all it all um, it all amounts to what we can say we have to uh, what the tax levy will bear in the city of Greenfield at what capacity we have um, uh, for the levy ceiling. You know, we don't we can't exceed the levy ceiling without a two and a half override. We try to not have to go to a two and a half override. We're pretty darn close right now. So that's why you see this balanced budget that is not, you know, funding everything like we would like to have it funded. Uh, and with that said, uh, the tax rate as we know it today, based on this budget, will is around $21 and change. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what the change is. So it's up a little bit from the 19 
um, 0 0.65, $19.65 per thousand. Mayor, um, we may, at the end of the year, be able, when we set, finally set our tax rate, be able to offset that similarly as we did last year. But we won't know till we get the full picture of our revenue. Right, right now, revenues are down across the board for the city. Revenues are down because of lack of uh, payments for uh, received for lodging taxes and food. Uh, well, food and uh, hotel and meals tax are actually, you know, they've slowly rebounded over the last couple of years and they're doing pretty well. It was, it's a situation, excise tax is way down. Um, so I guess everybody bought their new cars last year, new or used cars. Uh, but that could change. And uh, a big factor, oddly enough, is our parking revenue, which has been dramatically affected, um, and partly because of the parking garage, which has issues with it. And so we've had to refund um, some uh, permits, charges, and so forth. So parking revenue is down in general. And um, I'm, you know, that that could change as well. We are actually engaged in a parking management study, looking forward to the report at, at, at the end, whenever, which I think it's got a few more months to go. So actually quite a few. So it'll be a while before we get that. But I think that will give us a big picture about a lot of, answer a lot of questions about parking and how we might be able to improve. Well, We've gone from the police to parking to meals and lodging, and you had told me you wanted to ask me a question, which seemed fair at the beginning, but we only really have about a minute left. Should we save your question for next month, Mayor? Well, we can. Um, why, why don't you just tell people what you want to ask about, and we'll leave it there, and we will take it up next month, promise. But you want, in fairness, why don't you say what what you wanted to talk well, about? Well, I, was, I, I believe in freedom of speech. You know that. Uh, you must, because not only am I a mayor, an elected official, and a, a journalist, uh, once one, always one, uh, but the ruling somewhat flies in the face of a statement that is made in many meetings at the beginning. And that's in accordance with MGL 30A, Section 20, uh, Item G, no person shall address a meeting of the public body without permission of the chair, and all persons shall at the request of the chair be silent. Yes. No person shall disrupt the proceedings of a meeting of a public body. After clear warning from the chair, a person continues to disrupt the proceedings. The chair may order the person to withdraw from the meeting, and if the person does not withdraw, the chair may authorize a constable or other officer to remove the person from the meeting. What so, the, what yes, we should you know, can we say should... whatever you want to say, but uh, you might get asked to leave and say whatever you want to say. I don't think our framers anticipated, while I'm sure there were raucous meetings um, back in the day, King George and all, um, prior, well, afterwards, during, getting rid of, um, they didn't anticipate social media. They didn't anticipate a lot of things that are factored in today to the frustrations of elected officials. Well, I, th I think the mayor deserves a quick 
What, what we're talking about is, is a Supreme Judicial Court decision from Massachusetts, Supreme Judicial Court decision about two months ago on the Barron case having to do with uh, public speak time, in particular at public meetings. It's a really interesting topic, and we're going to discuss it more next month, promise. This is Mayor's Monday. Great. This is Mayor's Fourth Monday. Monday. <laughs> the fourth Monday of every month yeah. and is the mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wittig Gardner. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you sure. for your thank, thank you for you. your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks a mayor. lot. <clears throat> this is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Requests are pouring into East Hampton for public records in regard to the city's search for superintendent. The Gazette reports the deluge of record requests have grown so large they have crashed the software system that handles this. The request began coming after finalist Vito Perone had his job offer rescinded, and the second candidate, Erica Vikinski-Stark, withdrew due to questioning over what was called transphobic rhetoric on social media. The paper reports the most frequently requested information are emails containing the term microaggression or ladies. Under the state's public records law, municipalities are required to provide a written response within 10 business days to public records requests. The Jones Library will receive a substantial grant for the renovation and construction of a humanities center. The National Endowment for the Humanities is providing funding of over $35 million to 258 humanities projects across the country including $7.1 million in Massachusetts. The library is in the midst of a capital campaign for the $43.5 million project that will renovate and restore the original 1928 building and expand it by 15,000 feet. Deerfield's annual town meeting will be held tonight at 7 p.m. in the Frontier Regional School Auditorium. A question and answer session for community members will be held at 6 p.m. with the select board at Town Hall. This year's town meeting warrant includes 19 articles, the last of which is to see if the town will vote to amend the Deerfield zoning bylaws as they pertain to accessory apartment guidelines. Also on the warrant is to see if the town will vote to appropriate $100,000 to replace tennis courts at Frontier. For today, it'll be mostly cloudy, scattered to afternoon showers, highs 54 to 58. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 36 to 40. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny, chance for afternoon showers, highs around 60. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El viernes, la Corte Suprema preservó el acceso de las mujeres a un medicamento utilizado en el método de aborto más común, rechazando las restricciones de los tribunales inferiores mientras continúa la demanda. Los jueces concedieron solicitudes de emergencia de la administración Biden y Danco Laboratories con sede en Nueva York, fabricante de la droga Mifepristona. Es casi seguro que la acción del tribunal el viernes dejará el acceso a la Mifepristona sin cambios al menos hasta el próximo año, mientras se desarrollan las apelaciones, incluida una posible apelación ante el Tribunal Superior. La próxima parada del caso es en la Corte de Apelaciones del Quinto Circuito de los Estados Unidos con sede en Nueva Orleans, que fijó los argumentos del caso para el 17 de mayo. Por su parte, el presidente Joe Biden elogió al Tribunal Superior por mantener disponible la mifepristona mientras continúa la lucha judicial. 
En otras informaciones, se espera que el presidente Joe Biden contrate a Julie Rodríguez, una asesora principal de la Casa Blanca, para administrar su campaña de reelección, dijeron el domingo dos personas familiarizadas con las deliberaciones sobre el asunto. Rodríguez, quien es activista del Partido Demócrata desde hace mucho tiempo, también trabajó en la Casa Blanca del expresidente Barack Obama. Es nieta del líder sindical César Chávez y de la activista laboral Helen Favela Chávez. Al crecer en California, Julie Rodríguez Rodríguez participó activamente en campañas, piquetes, boicots, marchas y reuniones sindicales. Se ha desempeñado como directora de la Oficina de Asuntos Intergubernamentales de la Casa Blanca de Biden desde el comienzo de su presidencia y agregó el rol de asesora principal en junio pasado. Se espera que Biden anuncie formalmente su campaña de reelección de 2024 tan pronto como esta semana. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And this is our monthly segment, the SciTech Cafe, with our segment host. Professor Kristen Nordstrom, who is a professor of physics at Mount Holyoke College, who has with her and us today a very special guest. We will be talking about what we'll be talking about at the SciTech Cafe. So, Professor Kristen Nordstrom, you have the pleasure of the introduction of our special guest who is here with us in studio. The microphone is yours. All right. So we have Dr. Aaron Rubin it's, uh, from Smith College, who's a professional engineer. Um, I'm going to introduce his talk in a second, but just a few words. Uh, SciTech will be at Abandoned Building Brewery this Wednesday. It's completely free. Doors at 6 p.m., talk around 6.30. You can bring your own food, buy some beer, but it is all ages and free, um, and we'd love to see you there. So today we have... The ha Abandoned brewery, yeah. brewery Building... Abandoned Building Brewery. Abandoned Building Lots Brewery. Lots of bees. Lots of bees. Yes. We have to Bill say Abandoned Building Brewery, Bill and Buzz, <laughs> really <laughs> quickly, five times, and then you go to the head of the class, <laughs> is in East Hampton. Is in East, East Hampton, yes. Okay. Um, and so uh, Dr. Aaron Rubin is going to talk about ground penetrating radar and why engineers can't quit empirical models. And um, before I give it over to him, I'm going to ask you, how is this signal, this radio signal, being transmitted? Um, there's a magician outside the building. <laughs> he, they have a magic wand, and it just happens. It's, uh -huh. it's the same answer to the question, how do they get the flowers through the wires? Something that perplexed me as a kid. Why do the flowers come out on the other end not crushed? How am I doing, Professor? Oh, you're doing great. You're thank doing you, great. thank well, you. Well, anyway, so it's radio waves. Those are light waves. And that's the same kind of light that Professor Rubin is using um, for his research. So R Radio waves are light waves? Yes. Mm -hmm. So if you think about visible light, uh, you have longer wavelengths. Those are like microwaves, radio waves. You have shorter wavelengths. Those are X-rays, UV rays. Uh, radar is what he's actually using. Mm -hmm. So, oh, okay, just, just, just uh, you know, I'm always fascinated to know if I can have any concept about what I'm doing. So, as long, just stay with radio waves for just a second. Where are they on the spectrum? How do they, how do they work? Can you tell us a little bit? <laughs> um, so, radio waves are your long wavelength. So that's like meters to multiple meters to miles of wavelength, um, and they are invisible to us. We don't see them with our eyes, but they transmit signals just like visible light does. 
So the sound translates to light, translates back yeah, to sound. So, yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Well, oh, this yeah. is really amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have to. Uh, my mind does not have the necessity to yeah. understand this. <laughs> but help help me out a little bit. Okay. So let's do this real quick, and then I'm going to send it over to Aaron. So okay. we have we have a, a a transducer in the microphone that picks up the sound wave, that converts that to an electrical signal, that gets through an antenna to an antenna. That wiggles an electron around in the antenna that produces the radio wave. That radio wave goes to another antenna that wiggles the electron around. Um, that electrical signal gets uh, converted to a sound wave via a speaker. Got it? Okay. <laughs> I just, uh, it's I, a whole five-step process. I, I just read yeah. this weekend about yeah. how cramming for exams doesn't actually <laughs> teach you much because you lose it all the day after the exam. I really want to hear from Dr. Uh, Rubin, but I just want to <laughs> My father once asked, with color TV coming out, how come we don't see colors in the air if it's going through the air? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a good question. Yeah. I think it's an excellent question, <laughs> sadly. So we have with us Dr. Aaron Rubin, who is uh, at Smith College in, the, in what department? The engineering department. In the engineering department. And you are going to be speaking at SciTech Cafe again. Kirsten, where and when? Uh, Abandoned Building Brewery, East Hampton. Uh, talk is at 6.30. Doors at 6. And this is on Wednesday. On Wednesday. Okay. So... Tell us a bit, if you would, please, uh, Dr. Rubin, what you will be talking about. Sure. And so, if you could reduce this to sort of kindergarten level so I have, <laughs> I have a sporting chance, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll be talking about ground-penetrating radar, which, as the name implies, you're using radar technology to image the subsurface. And what that means is, much like our, our radio station discussion a moment ago, you send out a radio wave pulse into the ground with one of the antennas, and then you wait and hope that signals bounce back to your receiving antenna to tell you a little bit about uh, what is down there without actually having to dig. Okay, so my understanding of this comes from watching World War II clips as a kid and watching the uh, submarines sending out radar, and if it bounces off of something, then they knew another ship was there and uh, a battle would ensue and we'd see the same clips over and over again. Ground penetrating radar is looking to bounce off of, I guess the question is what? So Is that an okay question? Yeah, no, that's, oh, that's totally good. And it, it's, it's honestly quite similar to how you might picture it, um, where, where this wave propagates down and if it hits, say, a pipe in the ground some of that energy is going to keep moving forward and some of it is going to reflect back towards the surface. And so what we're trying to figure out is how much time do those signals take uh, to return? And if we know how much time it is, we can roughly estimate what the depth of that pipe might be. Okay, but how do you know it's a pipe and not a big <laughs> rock or a, a, a building that was 100 years or 200 or 300 years old? I mean, how do you have any idea what it is that your radar that you just sent down into the ground is bouncing off of? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really good question. Oh, good. I, <laughs> and I was afraid it wasn't. But. Yeah, no, that's the whole trick to it because um, if you just sort of go directly over a rock or a pipe, in, in the data, they're going to look the same. You're going to see... Um, this mark in the data, and you could say, well, that's going to be either a pipe or that's going to be a rock, right? We don't know. But if we go, say, 10 feet down the way, and we hit that same object at the exact same depth, 
and then you go a little further and you hit it again, and now you have this sort of linear feature where you keep hitting it, you go, oh, that's probably a pipe because it's a straight line in the ground. We don't see a lot of natural objects that form those straight lines. So you have to use your, your judgment to sort of infer what it might be. Whereas if you only hit it once and then you move somewhere else and you don't hit it again, and you're only hitting it in this one spot, then that's some kind of object that might be a boulder or um, you know, something very contained. And, and were you saying this, this technology can be used for archeological studies? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, that's, that's a pretty useful- I, I was gonna say, you are a professor, mm -hmm. you are an engineer, you probably have more things on your mind than just looking for pipes. Um, <laughs> there are practical applications, as Professor Kristen Nordstrom was beginning to uh, allude to and have us discuss. So I would like to go further with Kristen's inquiry, which is, what, do you, what is this stuff used for? Yeah, so it, it turns out that being able to figure out what's in the ground without actually having to dig um, has, has a pretty wide application case. So you see it used in civil engineering, for example, where they, they really do just want to know where these pipes are because towns lose track of where their sewer pipes are. And you want to make sure... Oh, my God. Ooh, that's, that sounds And you want to make sure that you that's know rough. where that sewer pipe is before you start digging around. Oh. Yes, yes, definitely. That's, right? Um, but in, in, say, archaeology, you literally have no idea where the building might be, right? So if you can scan the area with GPR, that can potentially hone in... GPR? Ground penetrating radar. Okay. Um, that'll help you uh, identify where to best put your resources to dig for a, you know an entire summer. Um, and you also find it used in geosciences a lot where they want to see some of the big features that might be down there, say cracks in bedrock or different soil layers um, will also become apparent in the GPR data. I want to know how recent ground penetrating radar is. Uh, in part because I remember New York streets being dug up all the time as a kid with the big signs explaining why traffic was in horrible shape. Uh, dig we must for a growing New York. And you'd read all the time about how they had hit pipes and this, that, or the other disaster happened. Is this ground-penetrating radar relatively new, or has it been with us for decades? So it's actually been with us for decades upon decades, uh, probably since the 70s. But there's a catch, right? Um, when, oh. yeah, right. Uh, so, because I'm, I'm still, I'm still worried about those sewer pipes. Okay, <laughs> I want to be clear about that. Um, uh, so, uh, for a long time, right, you could go out and you could collect this GPR data, but you're collecting so much uh, information that the processing of it um, became a real issue, right? Um, and that you'd have to clean up the signal to remove all of the noise. And as computers have become more and more powerful, we can collect more and more of this GPR data and process it faster. So that there's been a real revolution over the last 20 years especially, but even the last 10 years, that allow us to see things in the data um, in a much more efficient way um, in terms of how much data we can collect, how much we can process it, and then how much detail we can see um, in the ground. Well, in terms of what you see in the ground, and by see, I assume you're talking about interpreting waves that mm -hmm. come back mm -hmm. to you. It, does it have to be a solid object that the ground penetrating radar is bouncing off of, or is this something that 
oil companies use to find where the oil deposits are or where the mineral deposits are and that sort of thing. I mean, I, I love the idea it's used for archaeology. Mm-hmm. I also have the sense it's probably used for things for that profits. I'm not as happy about. <laughs> yeah, so um, the the key thing that it picks up is not is not necessarily solid objects. It's really differences in electrical properties. So... For example, there's going to be different electrical properties above and below the water table. So it's really good at seeing how, um, how deep water is. And it's really good at, say, seeing contamination in the ground because those have different electrical properties than surrounding ground. Um, but it's true also that your, your data is kind of fuzzy and that you're trying to interpret these squiggles and sort of put them all together in a coherent um, image. I'm so happy to hear we're talking about interpreting swiggles. Is that what you said? You really really said that. That's the technical term. Oh, yes. But, Bill, on the other side of the break, we're going to take a break, but I want to ask uh, Aaron Rubin. I I hear a lot about these waves that we're all subjected to all the time. The question is, can it hurt us, all these microwaves and other waves that we're all subjected to? I want to ask you that after we come back. Yeah, we're going to wave goodbye for just a second, but we'll be right back. I've heard you cry when you can't find the words Just do what you're doing When everything starts to change There's no need for hanging Gonna be enough today You can't put your shoes back on When everything starts to change Every time I try to plan my destination Things just take their time getting More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 101.5, 1400, and 12.40. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. The last place any of us wants to end up is the auto body shop. But if you ever do, the people to turn to are the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. At Fort Hill, you can leave your concerns at the door. They'll work with your insurance company and return your vehicle back to you in perfect condition. Guaranteed. Look, you love your car. Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. Come on over to the co-op, the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. At Greenfield Cooperative Bank, it pays to get pre-approved. If you're looking to buy a home, right now is the perfect time to save up to $1,250 on your mortgage closing costs. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations. Our local, experienced mortgage team is happy to walk you through the process so you can get in your new home as quickly and as easily as possible. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing credit plus an additional $500 
$1,500 when we pre-approve you. Close by September 30th. Be a new first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And this is our SciTech Cafe segment with our segment host, Kirsten Nordstrom, who is a professor of physics at Mount Holyoke College, who has with her and us today, Dr. Aaron Rubin from Smith College, who will be giving the talk and doing the Q&A at SciTech Cafe one more time because repetition is the essence of, well, public announcing. Kirsten? <laughs> All right, so our event is at Abandoned Building Brewery in East Hampton, and the doors will be at 6 p.m., talk at 6.30, and we're going to be hearing from Dr. Aaron Rubin, who's going to be telling us about ground-penetrating radar, and it's completely free. Uh, show up, and we'll entertain you with some science. That's Wednesday at 6.30. Wednesday. And for those who have not been, you really want to go, because they're always such interesting talks, and the kids who come, and it's open for all ages, ask the best questions. Yeah. So, Buzz, uh, representing the youth of America, would you like to pose your question again? Oh, the pressure. Now, the, my question is one that I hear a lot of people sort of ask, which is, do these uh, waves, we'll call them, can they hurt people or other species, the underground species, insects and others, do they harm, are they harmful, Dr. Rubin? Uh, no, uh, much like radio waves that are sort of all around us all the time, um, fortunately these lower frequency waves are not harmful to us or the environment. Uh, generally you have to worry about the higher frequency uh, waves like x-rays, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, this, so sometimes people call these light waves radiation because it, radiation just means it's transmitting energy. And there's ionizing radiation and non-ionizing radiation. So ionizing radiation is things like x-rays, as we've mentioned before, UV rays, those are cancer-causing. Um, things like radio waves and microwaves, which are the same frequency as your 5G, those are non-ionizing. They cannot actually damage human tissue or animal tissue or anything like that. Uh, they're just not at the right energy to really um, modify chemicals, basically. So... The cell phones we have are not dangerous, despite... As far despite as we know. As far as we know. Yeah. Well, one last question. <laughs> Just on, on the basic physics of it, no. Yeah. Pe a lot of people in their kitchen, they have a microwave mm -hmm. that heats stuff up. Yep. What's the difference between that and what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, so microwaves, are a sh they are a shorter wavelength than radio waves, so they could be more damaging, except they're not quite there yet. All the microwaves are doing is actually just rotating the water molecules um, in order to heat them up. So... Temperature is basically the random motion of molecules and, and atoms. Uh, the microwave is just basically spinning those water molecules around fast enough so that they effectively heat up, and that's it. It's not actually changing their structure chemically. It's not damaging DNA inside your food. Totally fine. On behalf of myself and the other six-year-olds I represent, thank you for that. <laughs> you, you've, you did extremely <laughs> well, Buzz. Thank you. I get a little star. So the answer... To follow up on Buzz's question, uh, uh, Dr. Aaron Rubin, is that the waves, the ground-penetrating radar and or other, radi other radar does not pose a danger to uh, animals and or other or insects or human beings? 
Yeah, correct. Uh, much much like radio waves that are all around us every single day, they're they're harmless to people and animals. Okay, so we just have a minute left. What got you into this? So interestingly enough, uh, what got me into this was I was on an archaeological dig before the start of my PhD. Which you received from where? where? Uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst, okay. right down the road. And um, on, the, on the dig, uh, me as sort of an engineer was watching them dig these, you know, five foot by five foot squares in the ground all summer long, you know, three or four students working one little plot. And I, I thought, you know, there's got to be some other way that we could speed this up, that we could help them target. And so I started to do a little and bit what, of So what research. year was this that you were on this dig? Ooh, that would have been maybe a decade ago, about 2013-ish. And where was it? Um, it was in Tuscany. It was lovely. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh poor, poor, poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Those, those, poor, those poor doctoral students have to send them off to yep. France. So yep. that got me thinking about it, and I then did a, a bunch of my PhD work with ground-penetrating radar. But that was the start for you? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. That's terrific. So, Kristen Nordstrom, want to tell us one more time about SciTech Cafe? This sounds so fascinating. Yeah, so this Wednesday, uh, doors 6 p.m., talk 6.30. This Wednesday at Abandoned Building Brewery in East Hampton. It's completely free. We'll have some snacks out. They do go fast, but you can also bring your own food. So there you go. Uh, if you just want to check us out online, it's facebook.com slash Cafe or SciTechCafe.org. Uh, we'd love to have you sign up for the mailing list. Professor Christian Nordstrom, Dr. Aaron Rubin, thank you both so very much. Really look forward. Wow, this is so interesting. Thank right. you both so much for being with us today. Thank you, Bill Thanks. and Buzz. could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 8.15, 12.15, and 4.15. When you hear the keyword, just go to whmp.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on whmp.com. Do you love fishing, swimming, or boating, but hate the trash you find? Do you want to help protect clean water and wildlife? Whether you live near the Deerfield River, Millers, Westfield, Chicopee, or Connecticut, your local river needs you. Join the Connecticut River Conservancy and help us protect our rivers. Our rivers belong to all of us, and each of us has a responsibility. Together we can make a difference. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Jury selection has just begun in the trial of a truck driver named Robert Bowers, accused of the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history. Prosecutors say he shot and killed 11 worshipers at a synagogue near Pittsburgh in 2018. Tree of Life Rabbi Jeffrey Myers. We cannot, we must not permit one day out of 25,993 days 
to define us. Government is seeking the death penalty. Another wrong address shooting, this time in Florida. Diamond Darville and another person say they were trying to make a late-night Instacart delivery near Fort Lauderdale when they were fired on after turning into the wrong driveway. I seen him pull out the gun and he had, like, picked it back. So then I was like, let's go, let's, like, we got to go. We could have been dead, like, our window is down and they're shooting. The homeowner says he feared for his children's safety after their car ran over his foot. Police say no one was injured. A Broward County prosecutor is asking Davie police to turn over their reports. The Biden administration is responding to concerns about U.S. citizens who remain in Sudan after a daring rescue of embassy personnel in Khartoum. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby tells CBS Mornings. It is not safe right now uh, for uh, another evacuation attempt. That would actually put Americans in more danger, not less. Americans aren't the only ones. Still going on. This bridge trapped in Sudan's capital Khartoum records the gunfire coming ever closer as warring forces battle for the city. Other countries have been rescuing their nationals in Sudan, but for the Brits there... absolutely nothing but nonsense from the government, and not even nonsense. We've had nothing. Britain's foreign secretary says the government's doing what it can, but that the situation is very dangerous and complex, which the Brits trapped there already knew. Vicki Barker, CBS News, London. Back here in the U.S., the price of cars is still soaring. CBS's Jim Crisula. Markups on new cars has helped drive inflation, according to a report from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Auto demand surged after Americans got pandemic stimulus checks, while supply chain problems sharply reduced the availability of new vehicles and the price of cars skyrocketed. And does this sound anything like this to you? Jury selection begins in New York today in a copyright infringement case that accuses Ed Sheeran of ripping off his 2014 hit from Marvin Gaye's 1973 classic. This is CBS News. Streamline how you hire with Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform makes it easy to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in the same place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Have you Googled yourself lately? Are there negative posts from an ex-employee or a former client? Maybe an outdated news article or sensitive personal information about your family? Search engines don't always get it right. But right or wrong, it's your reputation on the line. That's where Reputation Defender by Norton comes in. One of the most trusted names in online reputation repair, Reputation Defender has been fixing people's search results for over 15 years. Their cutting-edge approaches help you to wipe away unwanted information in your search results. They also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top, helping you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. Take control with Reputation Defender. You can start by getting your free reputation report card at reputationdefender.com or call 800-401-6681 to speak to an expert. That's 800-401-6681. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Requests are pouring into East Hampton for public records in regard to the city search for superintendent. The Gazette reports the deluge of record requests have grown so large they have crushed the software system that handles this. The request began coming after finalist Vito Perone had his job offer rescinded, and the second candidate, Erica Vikinski-Stark, withdrew due to questioning over what was called transphobic rhetoric on social media. The paper reports the most frequently requested information are emails containing the term microaggression or ladies. 
Under the state's public records law, municipalities are required to provide a written response within 10 business days to public records requests. The Jones Library will receive a substantial grant for the renovation and construction of a humanities center. The National Endowment for the Humanities is providing funding of over $35 million to 258 humanities projects across the country, including $7.1 million in Massachusetts. The library is in the midst of a capital campaign for the $43.5 million project that will renovate and restore the original 1928 building and expand it by 15,000 feet. Deerfield's annual town meeting will be held tonight at 7 p.m. in the Frontier Regional School Auditorium. A question and answer session for community members will be held at 6 p.m. with the select board at Town Hall. This year's town meeting warrant includes 19 articles, the last of which is to see if the town will vote to amend the Deerfield zoning bylaws as they pertain to accessory apartment guidelines. Also on the warrant is to see if the town will vote to appropriate $100,000 to replace tennis courts at Frontier. For today, it'll be mostly cloudy, scattered to afternoon showers, highs 54 to 58. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 36 to 40. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny, chance for afternoon showers, highs around 60. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And, uh, Bill, we have a couple of uh, really special guests today. Uh, in particular, the, uh, the, we have Susanna Noel coming up on Writer's Block with Megan Zinn. She is the production editor of St. Martin's Press. We're going to hear about how things get published. Um, but right now we have Anna Devlin Gothier. She is a District 5 counselor. She's vice president of the Amherst Town Council. And we're going to be talking about the really important vote that's coming up on May 2nd. I think it was in the uh, in the Gazette today. Front page it? of the Daily Hampshire Gazette today. Dateline Amherst headline voting for school project underway. Subhead nearly 600 of cast ballots by mail in person starts Monday ahead of Election Day on May 2nd. This is by Scott Smersbach, the staff writer, a distinguished staff writer for the Gazette. Nearly 600 voters have already cast ballots on a proposition two and a half debt exclusion for a 97 million three-store elementary school, either by mail or through absentee voting process. More voters are expected to head to the polls in the coming week leading up to the May 2nd vote as early in-person voting begins at Town Hall Monday. So Council Vice President Anna Devlin. Gothier, let's let's talk about that upcoming vote. And first of all, uh, people are voting now. Yes, they are. So could you just give a rundown of what people's options are in terms of voting? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So we have so many ways to to uh, raise your voice and be engaged around this vote. You can vote by mail for the, uh, for the um, uh, debt exclusion. Mail-in ballots need to be received by the Amherst Town Clerk by May 2nd. So they can be dropped off at the Town Clerk's office Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 4.30. That's at Town Hall. And then we have early voting. We uh, started that today, as you noted, at 8 a.m. That will run through Thursday, and you can vote every day, 8 8 o'clock to 4.30 p.m. And then voting day itself, if you feel like going in person, is May 2nd. Polls are open, and... uh, Find your polling place. You can look online on the town website. How does early voting work in Amherst? Do you have to appear somewhere? Can you put in a drop box? What happens? Early voting in Amherst, you go to the town clerk's office, and they have the ballots there. You check in at the little nice window, and our, our wonderful town clerk and assistant town clerk will make sure that the, your ballot gets right in the ballot box that's right there. So As long as you've been person. registered. As long as you're registered. And you it, have to have registered by last week. Right. So registration is 
still go and register if you're not. Absolutely. But, but you just won't be able to vote in this particular. Correct. So some people are still confused. What's the difference mm-hmm. between a debt exclusion yes. and a two and a half override? This amazing question. So a Prop 2.5 override is a permanent tax increase. So you see these most often for things like um, operating budget overrides. But what we are doing is a debt exclusion. So this is a temporary raise on property taxes. It's for 30 years. It's essentially kind of like we're mortgaging this building, right? And so it's a temporary increase in property taxes. Uh, ours is not a level increase. It kicks in, I believe, in 2025 or 20, yeah, 2025 or 2026. So it's not immediate. And then it runs for 30 years at um, slightly, uh, slightly increasing levels and then levels out uh, over the course of the building project. We have uh, had the president mm-hmm. and, and others from town council on, and um, you guys are pretty passionate about that. But it's a big number, this $97 million. Why shouldn't people be alarmed by that number? It's a big number, but there's a lot of reasons why that big number should be a lot less scary than a lot of other numbers that we're looking at here. So one of the reasons is that the Massachusetts School Building Project is paying for roughly 40% of the project. Uh, We had to go through a long, rigorous process to get back into the MSBA program um, where they support local uh, or Massachusetts schools in in building new building projects. So the reason why that number should be less scary is that if we look at these school buildings, um, and this this is pretty personal for me. My mother has been a teacher in one of these buildings for a very long time, and I see the buildings that we're sending our, our kids to school in, they can't fix some of the wiring because there's asbestos in the in the um, ceilings, right? And so they can't run wires through it. So they have wires taped to the ground to, to get extension cords to different classrooms. These kids are in classrooms that don't have walls. And so you can hear across, um, across grades and things like that. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million. And we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. This 40% that you mentioned mm-hmm. before that you'll be getting from the Massachusetts School Building uh, Project, mm-hmm. would you, why wouldn't that be available if we just repaired the old schools to that $80 million extent you're talking about? So um, I don't know the a lot of the specific details about the Mass uh, School Building Authority, but they are they're focused on new buildings primarily, and that's the project that we applied with. If you kind of I guess I'm going to call it fail out of the program if you don't take advantage of the program, it's challenging to get back in it. And so for us, we had a failed school vote in 2016, um, and we it did not pass at the time we had representative town meeting. It did not pass town meeting. And we lost out on that funding. And it was very challenging to get back in. It took a lot of really dedicated effort. We're back in. We will not have another chance. We need to take advantage of this opportunity. And it's for a new building. And it's for forty over $40 million that the state is going to yes. contribute to, to this endeavor. In terms of the actual tax burden, mm-hmm. the Gazette says this. I want to know if you think these numbers are right. It says the town is estimating property taxes rising by a dollar and one cent per thousand dollars so that for a family who owns a home worth about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars they'll pay four hundred and fifty one dollars more in taxes per year for this those numbers sound about right so those numbers do sound about right however the important thing to note is that it is based on your your um, assessed home value so that is not what every single person will be paying that's the median and so for folks in a lower whose property value is is lower it can be anywhere from 
150, you know, it, it drops based on the lower property value. Right. If you have a $200,000 mm-hmm. home, the tax burden would be about $202 yes. per year. And we do have a lot of programs. A lot of mus- municipalities have these programs for folks who are struggling to pay their property taxes. Right. There are, there are persons who can yes. be excluded from the increase as well. I understand yes. that. Could you go back to one thing you mm-hmm. said I was really interested in? You talked about how noise from one yeah. classroom goes to another. And my understanding is that that's because when this school was built umpty dump number of decades ago is because there was this open classroom uh, concept and all the grades would be together and everyone would somehow participate in all the education all at the same time, which sounds nuts in retrospect, but it was kind of an educational fashion at the time. Oh, we were trendy. Yeah, we were very trendy uh, 50 (laughs) years ago. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's not realistic, right? Um, Kids are loud. Teachers can be loud having, you know, a wonderful teacher as, an, as a mother. Uh, they, they have that ability too. And open concept classrooms were all the rage. We built two open concept schools. They don't work, right? It's not realistic um, for, for what a school needs to be. And this new school, we are learning from that. We are not going with, uh, there aren't any kind of current trendy ideas. The biggest thing about this new school that is very exciting is that there's lots of natural light when you look at some of our educators in our in Fort River and Wildwood right now, they're working in classrooms without windows. You know, or, or like especially our our literacy folks, our our math specialists. They have rooms in the middle of that building because everything else is open around them. They have closed rooms, but there's no windows. There's no natural light, and these students need support, and they're getting it in an environment that's not conducive to to that learning. So Amherst Town Councilor. Uh, I'm sorry, Anna. I was just looking at my notes, <laughs> Anna Devlin Gothier. So, what is the best argument against it? You guys are people on the council are really committed to getting a yes vote mm-hmm. on May second, and and you stress it's really difficult to disagree with your logic and reasoning. But what's the best argument against it? Those people who are opposed to it, mm-hmm. where does? Their argument rests. And let's note the school committee is also overwhelmingly in favor of this as well as the town council. Right. The argument against it that we hear, and to be clear, we're not hearing a lot of it, but when people are concerned, we talk to them about the increase in their property taxes. Amherst has high property taxes. The Valley has high property taxes. Uh, But the argument there is that you need to look at the alternative. This uh, This is not just it increase in taxes or remain the same. This is an increase in taxes either way, and to vote yes is the smaller of the two. Anna, sitting here in the studio is our producer, Dan Torres, an Amherst resident. Hi, what, yes. What do you hear on the ground? Um, I haven't heard too much about this, actually, um, so I don't know what that means because a lot of people haven't been talking to me about this, but I can express my concern or concern. My thoughts on it is oh, I understand the arguments being made that schools and new schools needed and basically... The state would kick in lots of money. I think there's a larger issue going on in Amherst that isn't being addressed, which I think some people might vote against this project because of the larger structural issues happening in the school and in the, in the town. And you're like, well, what do you mean? What are the structural issues? I mean, so putting the school aside. I love it. when. Wait, hold on. No, we, no, we know we can ask and answer the questions. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> putting the school project aside, there's a new public library. They want a new fire station. They want a new DPW building. They want a new senior center. And it's just like, where does it, I mean, I guess where does it stop is who's going to pay for all of this? And where is the strategic plan to answer all of it? And I want to put that on you because I don't think oh, I got this an is, for okay, because this is, a, I think, a long process that started a long time ago. So I don't want to 
put the answer on you, but I think there's a sort of feeling now it's like everything's going to fall on the homeowners and taxpayers. And so I think this project, I don't know what's going to happen, but this project might get affected by this sentiment happening in time. Eyes on you, Anna. All right, I'm ready. So I want to shift one choice of language that you used, which mm-hmm. is that you said we want a new fire station and we want a new DPW. Those are needs. They're not wants. Uh, we had a, a specific timeline for these capital projects. And when the vote failed at town meeting in 2016, it was a huge catalyst for Amherst. It shifted our form of government in many ways. That was the 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 um, you know the final straw for a lot of folks with that form of government, and we completely shifted. So I think in terms of the so you went from the we went representative f- town meeting yes. to a town council, a thirteen member town council. So we have a council manager form of government. So the thing about these projects is that that would have been the ideal. However, in any instance, the plan was always to need a debt exclusion for the school. It was true in 2016. It's true now. The other projects do have funding and finance plans. And the goal with going for the debt exclusion for this one is that we do not need to do it again. We have built up our capital reserves and our general reserves in order to fund these other projects. What's happening is things are getting more expensive. And so as we plan, we're trying to make sure that we are, one, not committing the town to more than we can handle. For example, the library, the town has committed a specific chunk of money. It will not go over that amount. They are fundraising the rest of it. Uh, The DPW and fire station, they're a bit like dominoes, right? We have potential sites for, for a fire station, and we are looking for potential sites for DPW. Once we have those, we can move. But that funding is being built into our reserves so that we do not need another debt exclusion, if that helps. Yeah. I, he- I hear that I, argument, though. Yeah. It's fair. We have a lot of I, capital. Well, I, I, the reason for it, and, and I've talked to other counselors about this, mm-hmm. is there's no real large commercial base in town, yeah. right? So you can't really depend on businesses making up for this. Then the other real big industries is UMass and Amherst College. And they're under, as far as I understand, no legal obligation to kick in any amount of money to the town. But the town is like, hey, but we have all these expenses. And their argument is, hey, we have a bunch of students that go and spend money in your downtown. So it just it's a wash, really. And so the colleges aren't kicking in. There's no commercial tax base. You're kind of left on the hook to being like, can you afford to live here? And then the town is, you know, the, the town council is like, well, how do we make Amherst more affordable? Well, you got to be rich to live here, basically, is the real answer. So we're working. One of the things that really also needs to shift, and I can go down a whole rabbit hole about this, is um, there's state pilot formulas that uh, support towns that have a lot of state-owned land. Those formulas need to be adjusted to account for places like Amherst that have a whole lot of state-owned land but it's a university. Mm. It's not recreational. I mean, we do have a plenty of, of recreational land, but it's more town-owned. But they need. we need to get that formula to shift so that UMass is able to support the town financially without hurting their own budget and needing to raise tuition. Um, there's, there's a lot that needs to shift. That's just one of many things, but you're absolutely correct. We also need to consider our tax base and what it looks like and how we are supporting businesses in moving to Amherst and coming to Amherst and, and thriving here. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to take a, a break. We're talking with Anna Devlin Gossio, the vice president of the Amherst Town Council. And um, there is a lot of attention. The, re- the governor mm-hmm. has focused on affordable housing in the Commonwealth. And a lot of us are very concerned about the lack of housing. I want to talk to you about housing projects, yeah. in particular the Ball Lane project yes. in Amherst, right after we, these messages.
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New, New Bedford or Fall River. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. It's lawn care season, so remember what you put on your lawn and garden can wash with the next rainstorm into our rivers and lakes. Here's two tips for better lawn care. One, Test your soil. Find out what your lawn needs before spending money on product. UMass Extension offers testing. Two, leave grass clippings where they fall. When mowing, this will put nutrients back into your lawn naturally. Healthy lawns, healthy waters. Brought to you by the Connecticut River Stormwater Committee. Learn more. Click Lawn and Yard Care at thinkblueconnecticutriver.org. Checkpoint Research has issued its latest brand phishing report, ranking the companies impersonated by scammers, and Walmart tops the list. Walmart accounted for 16% of all scam attempts in the first quarter and climbed from 13th place in the fourth quarter of last year. The DVD players of more than 1 million Netflix subscribers are inching closer to obsolescence. The streaming provider is scheduled to end its DVD-by-mail rental service after 25 years of sending out those little red and white envelopes to focus on the much less expensive streaming option. Uber Eats can deliver dinner to your doorstep. Now the company wants to keep your pets fed. It will deliver pet food and supplies from PetSmart. In fact, the retailer will offer shoppers special discounts on their first PetSmart Uber Eats order through the end of May. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. And we are back, and we're talking to Anna Devlin Gauthier, the Vice President of the Amherst Town Council. And I wanted to ask you about affordable housing, in particular mm -hmm. about the Ball Lane Project. So could you talk about the issue of affordable housing, in particular in Amherst, about people who don't necessarily have the money to buy the kind of housing that is available in Amherst, and what you're doing about it in Amherst? Yeah, so we're seeing an affordable housing crisis, I mean, not even just in Massachusetts, right? We're seeing this nationwide, and but especially in Massachusetts, and we're going to continue seeing it. In Amherst, it's it's really interesting. We do, we are facing a similar, similar crisis as everywhere else, um, and we are also squeezed particularly by the rental market in, in our area. This isn't just Amherst, this impacts our surrounding towns as well, but we have a significant number of students who need to rent in our community, uh, and so we see prices uh, going up and up, both on home ownership and on rentals. And one thing that is is happening is that there's a, an incredible project happening on Ball Lane in North Amherst with Valley CDC. Um, and they... CDC. Oh, gosh. You were going to ask Community, Community Development, Development Corporation. Yeah, thank you. Um, and they are at the project eligibility phase and are working with Mass Housing to uh, finish evaluating this site. But the vision is that there's going to be 30 new homeownership opportunities, low-income homeownership opportunities, uh, through 15 buildings, duplexes, uh, spread throughout the site with lawns and parking spaces and all of that. Uh, and it's a beautiful area. They're going to be a mixture of one, one-and-a-half, and, and two-story structures, 
950 to 1300 square feet. They're going to have passive solar. But the, the idea here is that we are building generational wealth for folks, right? They are able to, it's, it'll be a lottery and there will be um, income eligibility requirements and they will then be able to own property there and, and pass that on and build that generational wealth. So it's a pretty incredible opportunity. And if it's okay, I'd like to just plug, they are doing a, a tour of the site, an open Q&A on Wednesday, April 26th at 5.30 p.m. So you can find more information on this on the town webpage or on Valley CDC's website as well. It's quite exciting. It's so exciting. I'd be interested in you going back for just a minute to talk about pilot programs, payment mm -hmm. in lieu of taxes, because what you've described is the University of Massachusetts and the need for students to have housing, which puts enormous pressure on various aspects of the town, its people, and its finances. But the university doesn't pick up any of the costs ha after having imposed those costs on the town. And I'm wondering if you want to share a final thought about that before we move back to the question of the vote. Gosh, I hope you all are, are going to look at a show all about housing of students in the Valley. Um, there's currently a, a big crisis we're navigating. UMass has 900 students who were recently informed that they can't live on campus. And so now there's, there's more students. And there was a big protest. Big protest. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Students camping out with uh, tents on the major yeah. uh, areas yep, on the right campus. Right outside the pond, yeah. Yep. We're, we're seeing a lot of growth generally, and we've, we've also seen a lot of growth in our housing options. There's been a lot of building happening, but the, the need for housing is outpacing how fast we are able to build apartment buildings. And we haven't been building a lot of new market rate housing, which is why Ball Lane is so exciting. Um, we're building affordable homeownership. So, you know, I think the, the pilot programs... There's a lot of different ways to do it. The state is kicking in funding, um, but <laughs> the state is kicking in funding, but we really need to build support options from the colleges and the, and the university. Um, and from the university, we'd like that funding to come from the state so that it doesn't impact students and their tuition. Let's go back to the vote. Sure. Which is, voting is, has begun yes. on the school project. Yeah. A yes vote will be in favor of the school project and no vote will kill it mm -hmm. and will, as a practical matter, kill new schools in Amherst for the foreseeable future. And Amherst will still have to spend 40 or $80 million in order to repair the old buildings. It's, it seems to me in some ways this is the most obvious yes vote I've ever seen. But there's always the question of increased taxes. And we've reviewed those numbers already. And, and that information is actually directly available to Amherst residents, anyone else, here's how much your taxes will increase uh, if, if you vote yes on this or if it passes. I'm interested in the piece in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette in particular, uh, in the uh, quote from Kathy Shane, District 1 counselor in Amherst, who s indicates that not doing the project actually would not, would hurt proje other projects. The argument being some people saying, well, if you fund this, you can't fund everything else. But actually, that's kind of backwards, maybe counterintuitive, mm -hmm. but it's backwards. Right. We, so lose, we lose that $40 million from the Massachusetts School Building Authority, and it's going to cost us double, 80 to repair the schools. And so that is going to hurt our other capital projects. We would need to, we would need to pull from other areas and really do some challenging math, and, and that math just doesn't work. We need this yes vote um, because, uh, because we need these other capital projects. And the way that this, the formula works requires us to go for this temporary debt exclusion in order to make these projects a reality, which DPW and FIRE, I mean, those are critical needs for our community. And we have a DPW that is 105 years old and a fire station that's 95 years old. They can't fit our equipment in them anymore. 
we need to we need to focus on these buildings. There isn't a way to necessarily pour all of the money into one. It needs to be the this debt exclusion is is a requirement in order to make all of all four projects happen. And you expect they will? And I expect they will. I think that we are we are facing some challenging times with inflation and everyone is getting hit by this, but we have incredible town staff who are looking at these formulas and, and ensuring that we are able to get these projects complete. I was interested in the piece, part of the article in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, not doing this project also might crowd out road and sidewalk repairs mm -hmm. from the capital budget, and the town would lose an incentive provided by Eversource for a green building, including $1.6 in utility rebates and federal tax credits, and another $700,000 from the Community Preservation Act mm -hmm. for the community fields, and on it goes. Well, and, and there's more, too, because one of the things about this new building is that there's an estimated savings of $250,000 a year in operating costs from energy savings. Because it's going to be a green building. Exactly. It's going to be a net zero building. How do you really feel, Anna? I gosh, I can't even tell you. I feel so strongly. I hope that folks will turn out and vote yes for the new school building. It is so critical for our teachers, for our educators, for the future of our community. This is the. Option. How about for our children? Oh my gosh, did I not say that? That's it is okay. for them first, absolutely. Our our kids deserve this, and they need it. And and for alumni of the elementary school system in Amherst, like our own Dan Torres. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Thank you so for much all for having me. And uh, we're going to have Andrew Steinberg talking about this one more time. All right, one more. This Wednesday, he's the at-large counselor, and he's a finance guy. He is a finance guy. He will tell you more about the dollars than I can. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for joining us. Thank you all us. so much. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Writer's Block with Megan Zinn. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Requests are pouring into East Hampton for public records in regard to the city's search for superintendent. The Gazette reports the deluge of record requests have grown so large they have crushed the software system that handles this. The request began coming after finalist Vito Perone had his job offer rescinded. And the second candidate, Erica Vikinski-Stark, withdrew due to questioning over what was called transphobic rhetoric on social media. The paper reports the most frequently requested information are emails containing the term microaggression or ladies. Under the state's public records law, municipalities are required to provide a written response within 10 business days to public records requests. The Jones Library will receive a substantial grant for the renovation and construction of a humanities center. The National Endowment for the Humanities is providing funding of over $35 million to 258 humanities projects across the country, including $7.1 million in Massachusetts. The library is in the midst of a capital campaign for the $43.5 million project that will renovate and restore the original 1928 building and expand it by 15,000 feet. Deerfield's annual town meeting will be held tonight at 7 p.m. in the Frontier Regional School Auditorium. A question and answer session for community members will be held at 6 p.m. with the select board at Town Hall. This year's town meeting warrant includes 19 articles, the last of which is to see if the town will vote to amend the Deerfield zoning bylaws as they pertain to accessory apartment guidelines. Also on the warrant is to see if the town will vote to appropriate $100,000 to replace tennis courts at Frontier. 
For today, it'll be mostly cloudy, scattered to afternoon showers, highs 54 to 58. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 36 to 40. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny, chance for afternoon showers, highs around 60. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 415. When you hear the keyword, just go to WHMP.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com. At Greenfield Cooperative Bank, it pays to get pre-approved. If you're looking to buy a home, right now is the perfect time to save up to $1,250 on your mortgage closing costs. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations. Our local, experienced mortgage team is happy to walk you through the process so you can get in your new home as quickly and as easily as possible. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing credit plus an additional $500 when we pre-approve you. Close by September 30th be a new first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the Co-op. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And it is Monday, it is 10.30, and it is time for Writer's Block with Megan Zinn. Megan, what do you have for us today? Well, my guest is Susanna Noel. Welcome, Susanna. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Um, Susanna is a, we're going to be talking about publishing today, because Susanna is a production editor at Macmillan, Macmillan Publishers, and she has been a copy editor and proofreader for more than 25 years, and she also founded Editorial Arts Academy, where she offers classes on editing, and full disclosure, I've worked with Susanna as a copy editor, and I've taken several of her classes, which have been great. Um so as I said, we're going to talk about the publishing industry and kind of how it works today. So, But Megan, can we start with, yeah. I don't know what a production editor is. Well, that, that was going to be one of my first questions. Uh, um, uh, and so let's, um, to just to back up from that a little bit, tell us what Macmillan Publishers is. How does that fit into the publishing industry? Um, it's one of the big five, Craig, and what are the big five? And then we'll get to what a, what a production editor does. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, Trade book publishing is the trade and trade book publishing refers to the book trade. So it's very confusing because trade books are actually general books, not niche. Okay. They're not like trade journals. Oh, right. So, exactly. Right. So trade books are um, general fiction and nonfiction. And in the world of trade book publishing, they're about 80% 
of books are published by just five publishers. Um, and one of those is Macmillan. They're called the Big Five. Um, the others are Hachette, HarperCollins, mm -hmm. Simon and & Schuster, and the big, big daddy mm -hmm. or mommy on the scene <laughs> is Penguin Random House. Right. Um, so those are the Big Five. And, um, and then they've and, got subsets, imprints, correct? Right. So the imprints are like little divisions within... Okay within the publishers. So if you look at your book and, and see, oh, it's published by Tor. I'm reading this great science fiction is published by Tor. Um, Tor is a division of Macmillan. Okay, all right. It's an imprint of Macmillan. Okay, and so, um, and again, my guest is Susanna Noel and she is a production editor at Macmillan. And what does a production editor do? Yes, great question. Well, one weird thing about the publishing industry is that there are so many different roles that are called mm -hmm. an editor. So <laughs> yes. if you say, I'm an editor, um, it actually doesn't tell, tell people very much. So a production editor is one of the many roles. Uh, and what we do is we kind of take the manuscript once it's been accepted and read through by all of the kinds of people who are going to make significant changes to it. And we shepherd it through the various processes that get it to the printer. So that means sending it out to freelancers who copy edit it and proof it. It means keeping track of schedules. And, you know, I, I have usually around 20 to 25 books at any time. So mm -hmm. there is a lot of scheduling. It's really a, a great job for people who love details yeah. and love schedules. Um, and, and so then, and then the, and, and do you oversee the, the, the sort of the, um, the marketing distribution publicity end of it as well? Or is that another no, group? That's another department. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, and actually, this is kind of backing up a little bit, Susanna, but um, what are kind of the key steps that a book goes through um, from the moment at which the publisher says, yes, we're buying it, um, mm -hmm. we're going to publish this book, till it's, till it's in my hands? That's such a great question. Um, I don't know if I can do it absolute justice, but I will try. <laughs> so the acquiring editor, who is often when you when you hear of like big famous editors, mm -hmm. they're acquiring okay. editors, they're called. Um, so the acquiring editor says, can we buy this? The company says yes. Then the acquiring editor works on it and probably goes a couple rounds with the author, depending on how much time they have, how big that acquiring editor is, and how big that author is. Less and less as time goes by do they have the opportunity to do that kind of work. Um, once it's kind of uh, in good enough shape, according to the acquiring editor, it goes to the managing editor, and the managing editor um, does their review, and then they send it to me, the production mm -hmm. editor. Yeah. and. We get it copy edited, which means that it's being um, all the grammar and spelling is being checked. Then it gets laid out by an InDesign, so it looks like a book. Then it gets proofread um, so that all the final design questions and editorial questions are taken care of by the proofreading process. And then it gets printed. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds kind of straightforward when I put it like that, but um, of course, each stage mm -hmm. has many iterations and um, and then it gets marketed, it gets which marketed. as I've seen now that I'm at Macmillan, it's it's a, a very big part of the process. Also, an audiobook is often made yes, toward the end of the process. Yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. Bill, do you have a question? 
I, I have <clears throat> two. Uh, one is how many trade books, as you've defined them, are published in the United States each year, and how does that include or not include uh, self-published self-published books? I love the question, and I wish I had those numbers. Um, many, many, many trade books are published. It, it's actually kind of, it's a weird thing to say, but it's a little bit of an issue. There's like what? almost too many books mm -hmm. at this point, mm -hmm. and people in the publishing industry talk about that. Um, as far as self-published, it is gaining. It is big. Uh, I work with indie authors, authors who are self-publishing, and I always tell them, unless you have a lot of patience, and some contacts, just go ahead and in the publishing industry, just go ahead and self-publish ah. because you're gonna sit around waiting for years to get mm -hmm. that book out. And even if it gets out, it's gonna be one of thousands that are publishing that month. Um, so self-publish, I don't know the numbers, but I, could, I will say that self-publishing is very big um, and is no longer considered sort of a disgrace to have to <laughs> well, it, And could self-published self authors can do well, can't they? Oh, yeah. Self-published authors do can do very well. They can also not do well. Oh, well I think that if, <laughs> if you're, if you think, well, I'm going to publish this book and, and make a bunch of money and quit my job, it's very likely you will be disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, there are books like Wool, mm -hmm. um, huge book and um the other one about mars shoot i'm forgetting the title oh. um was it the martian the one that was, was it the martian the, the one that the movie the martian, the martian was made the, from yeah they made the movie with matt damon yeah yeah i, I don't if um, that's the name of the book but the movie is is the martian but um yes yeah, i, I had heard that that was self-published so that's obviously a um yes a, huge a lot of story. big books are self-published initially and then picked up and, oh. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, um, and I guess my, my guest is Susanna Noel, who is a production editor at Macmillan Publishers. So you've been in this industry a long time. And as anybody can guess, there's been a lot of changes in publishing in the last 25 years. What are some of the most significant changes you've seen? That's a great question. I think the biggest one is the matter of inclusive language, also oh. called conscious language. Yeah, interesting. Tell us about more about that. Yeah, so it's something that I, when I started out in the mid-90s, didn't hear anything about. And now it's something that at every editing conference, um, you'll see at least a third of the presentations will be about conscious language. So it's basically being careful to use terms that aren't offensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really that simple. Um, and there are lots of them that you may not consider. For example, I was working on a, a book where the author was talking about the Grand Canyon and they talked about the tribes that, that mm -hmm. originally lived on those lands. And I did a little search and found that um, Native Americans don't refer to themselves as tribes. Yeah. They refer to them as they have groups or nations. I might be wrong about the groups one. So all I did was make a query that said, hey, author, turns out tribes isn't really a, a term used by Native Americans. Um, do you want to change it to this or this? And I gave them a link. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of that simple. Um, but as you can imagine, with any kinds of issues of language and language evolving, there's sort of I mean, there's not really two camps, but there's kind of two camps where it's sort of like the, the people who are on the vanguard who really 
are are eager to embrace change yeah. and then ones who aren't quite so eager. Yeah. So, sometimes it's not so clear. So, for example, uh, many persons who live on uh, reservations who are members of uh, 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 indigenous, indi- indigenous nations uh, refer to themselves as Indians. Mm. And yeah. I, I, some, some white people say, well, that's a really offensive term. <laughs> on the other hand, there are a lot of uh, uh, persons who are from Native Native American, Native American, also probably a disfavored word, but indigenous people's ancestry who use it. So how do you resolve that? That's such a great question. Um, I think that's kind of what makes it continually interesting for those of us who do grammar and language stuff, because it always changes. There's always a new perspective. So basically what you try to do is you research the heck out of mm-hmm. all of these topics. And, and there are shortcuts. There are people who do that research for you and have products out there that you can buy, like Crystal Shelley. Um, and she's a, she's and a then copy you, editor who, who is very- She's um, another copy editor. Who writes about this yeah, quite a bit. Rabbit with a Red Pen is, yeah. her, is her website. And she's great. And she's put together a toolkit, as she calls it, for editors and authors on conscious language. But the, the, basically what you do is you go to those groups. We, we often talk about marginalized groups. You go to those groups and you say, how do you want to be referred to? What terms do you use for yourself? Um, and it's kind of it's kind of that straightforward. It just takes a lot of thought. Yeah. One time. thing I've been struck by is it's not really it's not well, it's about a lot of things. It's not just ethnicity, but different words about mental health. The the amount of times we just normally use words like crazy and nuts and um, you know the very many synonyms for that, and that's really discouraged now as well because it is denigrating, even if we're not using it um, to mean literally somebody with um, mental illness. A hundred percent. That's a big one that I actually struggle with because I say it so often. <laughs> I think we and all do. I, you know, I try to use silly or wild or surprising, but they don't really pack the same punch. Yeah. But you know, it's important to me that people people with mental health challenges are telling me this is really offensive and hurtful, and I I want to honor that. Mm-hmm. What about gender identity? I mean, we're mm-hmm. going to use terms like AFAB, you know, assigned female at birth, and. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 AMAB, I mean, those terms. Those, that's coming up. How, how, how do you deal with that? You know, girls and girls and boys, not so simple. Mm-hmm. And ladies. <laughs> that's a reference totally. to some politics in, uh, in our town. Um, oh. yeah. <laughs> Susanna wouldn't necessarily know. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is. Um, and, and we do have to take a break, and we can come talk more about that when we come back. We are. We're going to come back with Megan Zinn and, and her guest, Susanna Noel, This is fascinating. We'll be right back. Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. 
It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015-1400-1240. WHMP. Food, stories about food, from people who grow it, prepare it, and eat it. Field Notes, an afternoon of storytelling. And I didn't know this, but owls hiss. CISA, the local hero folks, welcome you to Field Notes, Sunday, April 30th at the Academy of Music. Turns out, not the only one who's ever thought about eating bugs. Spend an afternoon at the Academy with farmers, chefs, and just plain food lovers as they share stories of life in the food chain. If you look at the architecture of a dairy cow, you wouldn't think she could move very fast. I'm here to tell you that she can. Field Notes, a glimpse into the lives of the people who grow and cook the local food we love. From the poignant to the hilarious, get tickets now at the Academy of Music box office or website. Field Notes, true tales from local tables, farms, and kitchens. This Sunday, April 30th at 2, Academy of Music, downtown Northampton. This week's Shop Tuesday is Slancha. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Slancha releases gift certificates for their restaurant in Holyoke. High up on Jarvis Avenue with a view of Holyoke and beyond, good food and drink, lunch and dinner daily. Plus, a private upstairs party room with a bar. They say it on the old sod and they say it in Holyoke. Slancha, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. And we are back with Megan Zinn and her guest, Susanna Noel. Okay, um, Susanna, so I had asked you before the break what were some of the most significant changes you've seen. What hasn't changed? Um, what, mm. what has kind of stayed the same in publishing, for better or worse? Since Gutenberg. You're since Gutenberg. <laughs> well, in, in, yes, your, in your time in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it's a, it's a pretty slow process mm. and that hasn't changed. We've digitized a lot of it um, and we no longer work on paper. The days of, of the stacks of paper with your carmine red pencil are mm -hmm. over, unfortunately. So a lot is on the computer, but it's still pretty slow. I think that's one of the things that I love about it is it's sort of like you kind of can't rush it. Mm -hmm. um, you have to take your time. That doesn't mean there aren't books that come out very quickly. Yeah. Um, but they they cost a lot of money, and mm -hmm. they're pretty they're pretty rare. Those are the big like spare. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Th yeah. Um, things the things about uh, current issues or or people who have yeah, recently resigned from the government. Books. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so recently, the big five publishers, as we talked about earlier, almost became the big four um, when Penguin, Penguin Random House tried to acquire Simon and & Schuster and the Justice Department successfully sued to pre prevent it. Um, do you see other major changes in the industry or attempts at change in the near future? Or did that kind of silence it for now? I think that... From everything I read and hear, I think it will continue to 
the industry will continue to consolidate, mm -hmm. which is what's been happening over the last yeah. 20 or 30 years. And that's why it's gone from whatever, 25 to down to five. I don't know how many exactly. But um, the other thing that's happening, though, is HarperCollins. Recently, the staff mm -hmm. at HarperCollins uh, had a strike. Successful. And they were successful. Mm -hmm. um, so that means that, and I've already seen it here, there's already talk at Macmillan of um, like a, a bottom for what you can be paid when you start out. Okay. Yeah. So one of the, one of the issues in, in the industry is that salaries aren't very high. Mm -hmm. And until recently you had to kind of live in New York city. <laughs> yes. To be able on on to no salary. There, yeah. Which is another thing that changed with the pandemic. That's why I was able to go from being a freelancer to being in house because I live in Vermont. But now I have a job, a full-time job that's based in Manhattan because mm -hmm. with the, the coronavirus remotely had to happen. So now all of that infrastructure is in place. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of change in the industry in terms of kind of logistics of where people work mm -hmm. and who gets to be hired and also pay. Yeah. yeah. Pay is going up. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And finally, sorry. Sorry, finally, diversity. Is yeah, that's. I, I was going to ask about that because it's it's been a, an industry that gets wrapped for the lack of diversity, um, which is tied up with low wages because very often the only people who can work there are people who kind of have some independent um, funds or they uh, have a partner who has a lot of funds. But somebody um, who doesn't come from a background of some wealth very often can't even get into the industry because they can't afford to, well, they couldn't afford to live in New York and be an intern for or, or work very low paying do you see um do you see changes happening with the diversity and and what are what kind of efforts are the publishers making to to diversify their staffs yeah i definitely see changes um it was part of the harper collins um strike was that they were demanding more diversity and equity and inclusion so i see it here at mcmillan that we're trying to hire more people who are who are diverse we're trying to publish more diverse books mm -hmm. um it's a pretty slow process i mean that's yeah. one thing about publishing is it's 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 an old industry mm -hmm. and as such it feels a bit like a dinosaur um so i think it you know i think most people in publishing want it to go mm -hmm. in the direction of yeah. more diversity and higher pay. It's kind of one of these, well, now we have to make it happen and that just can take a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that does make sense. Um, is it switch gears again? I'm talking to Susanna Noel, who is production editor at Macmillan Press. Um, can you tell us, so can you tell us about a couple of books you've worked on that are new or upcoming that you're excited to see come out that, and that we should be excited about? Oh, great question. You know, it's, right i suppose but i just really love books i think this is one <laughs> yeah. way that they're able to keep uh salaries kind of low because it's so fun <laughs> to work on books and there's a lot of people like, who want to do it yeah. i just want to work on books um so i have i really have so many it's rare that i that i work on a book that i don't love something about but one book that i um worked on recently that will be coming out soon that I really liked kind of surprised me is called Fight. How, okay, hold on, I gotta find the title. It's, it's Fight, How Gen Z is Channeling Their Passion to Save America. Oh, that's I not the exact that. subtitle, <laughs> but that's close to it. So I have two Gen Z children mm -hmm. and um, I was just really captivated by the idea 
that this generation is kind of they're blazing trails that you know those of us who are older are kind of surprised by and and so i really enjoyed working on the book and getting to see all the different ways that gen z is is just knocking it out of the park. Yeah, I'm excited about that because I've been saying I also have two Gen Z children and I am just astounded by, by this generation in a lot of ways. So um, I'm looking forward to reading that and having it back up what my assumptions have been. Um, and one kind of last question. Are you able to read for pleasure or does your editor brain <laughs> get in the way? I think, oh, we might have I get this question oh, a lot. lost you for a second. I am definitely able to read for pleasure. I'm, I'm definitely able to read for pleasure still. However, if I'm working on a book, if I'm reading a book for pleasure, that's too much like kind of standard fare that I copy edit, mm. um, I'll put it down. Yeah. So I need it to be a little bit um, better than your average book, I think. Okay. Or at least and I, so I think yeah. that's, that's one thing that has happened. On the other hand, Another thing that has happened is I care less about grammar and punctuation than I used to because <laughs> I see errors all day long and they no longer freak me out. I'm just like, yeah, it's whatever. People make mistakes. <laughs> uh, that's that's very interesting because so you might imagine it would go in the other direction and you could become more of a stickler. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, thank you, Susanna, yeah. for being here today. Um, I'm constantly fascinated because this is my business. I'm constantly fascinated by the publishing industry. I hope others are too. But thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, so Susanna welcome. Noel. And Thanks thank so you, much. Megan Finn, as always, is always interesting. So you have branched out, not just having authors here, but yeah. there's, you have bookshop owners, you have people who are in production. It's great. Yeah, it's really, I mean, I'm kind of, as I just said, I'm really fascinated by every element of the book industry um, and how these things get into our hands and how these amazing stories get, I mean, I'm just, just the, the, anybody writing a book, I find amazing and how people's brains can work that way. So yeah, it's a fascinating process. It's very exciting. Thank you for sharing it with us. And for all of you listeners, thank you so much for joining us today on Talk to Talk. We're constantly reminding ourselves and you to continue to walk the walk. Want to make a difference in a big way? Nearly 200 children in Hampshire County are on a waiting list to be matched with adult mentors called BIGS. Children who are matched with mentors through Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Hampshire County do better in school, report higher self-confidence, and have better relationships with peers. Start something. Call 413-259-3345 and volunteer or donate to Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Hampshire County. The Food Bank of Western Massachusetts provides healthy food to families and individuals facing hunger in our region. And right now, with food insecurity the highest it's been in recent years, the Food Bank is distributing more emergency food than ever. Learn more about the Food Bank or get support for yourself and your family. Go to foodbankwma.org or call 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors have enough to eat and leading the community to WHMP hunger. Northampton.